Metricast. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Has Roger Smith RSVP'd yet? Wall Street. I went to Wall Street to get seriously rich, but I didn't get rich. Hollywood Boulevard. I went to Hollywood to be a movie mogul. I didn't become a movie mogul. Washington, D.C. The president and Mrs. Ford have invited us down to Palm Springs. He's been I there. I the entertainment business. Done and that. Being hired by a company called Carol Co. Pictures. And that. It was the night before Ronald Reagan was inaugurated. And just about everything else you can imagine. I thought of myself as somebody who was a double agent. He knew a lot of famous My people. experience with Orson Welles. How can you possibly hang out with that low-life Frank Sinatra? And now he's talking. Of that, I was invited to some fancy dinner. This is the podcast, Who the F*** is Roger Smith? But my real goal was to have an interesting life surrounded by interesting people, and at that, I succeeded beyond my expectations. On this episode, you never forget your first movie star meeting. For Roger, that's the lovely Candace Bergen. We're back at Cannes, but unlike Richard Gere, Candy doesn't need to borrow money. Roger also remembers working with Robert Altman, sneaking out of a Neil Simon play, and his disdain for money managers. But we begin with Ms. Bergen. Probably the first movie star I met, because it was when I was simply a low-medium-level worker on Wall Street, was Candace Bergen. And I met her in the dressing room of Liza Minnelli, who was appearing at one of the Stardust or one of the big fancy Vegas hotels. This was my first trip to Las Vegas since my father had taken me there when I was 12. My mother had said, Jack, you must do something with the boy. And my father's idea of something to do was not to go camping or fishing, but to go to Las Vegas. Fine with me. <laughs> anyway. I like this guy and I haven't met him. Yeah, right. And um, I, I, I have no recollection of how I happened to be in Liza Minnelli's dressing room. I knew somebody who knew somebody kind of thing. That's his and, story and he's sticking to it. Right. And I started talking to Candace. Um, and she was telling me, when she heard I worked on Wall Street, about her business manager. Now, business managers are one of the many unbelievable Hollywood scams in which most of these people who have come into, and this doesn't apply to Candace, who grew up in that world entirely because of her father, Edgar Bergen, um, but they've come into money for the first time and they end up hiring somebody to run their life. It's the, bu- the business manager, he pays their bills, he uh, deposit, you know, and he, quote, manages their money. Well, most of these people have learned, and I know and quite a few of them have dealt with them over the years. They know that if you make your money, let's call it uh, by talent or luck, but not by hard work, you have a very, very possessive view of that money. I got it. I ain't giving it up. They know that if they make money for you, fine. If they lose money for you, you get fired. That's it. You can't lose. So they all put, they put them, they take their money and, and put it in savings accounts and maybe the occasional IBM shares or something like that, something considered irreproachable. 
And I said, on those are the honorable ones. I those mean, are the some honorable ones. Some of them ones. put money into absolute in their, in their, their brother in laws, yeah, yes, which yes. ends up in their pocket. Right. Although most most of those get found out after a while. My sister had one who who actually was doing that. Um, but the and I said, what do you pay? May I ask what you pay your business manager? Five percent of my gross income. I said to pay your bills. You can hire you can hire an, a bookkeeper for for eighty five dollars a week. I said to invest your money and, and the. Um, I said that he's putting it into into savings accounts. You don't need to pay. I said you can get the finest investment advice on Wall Street for three percent of your assets, not your income, because your income is huge. Your it's your assets that need to build up, and this. It will, she was Candace Bergen, the movie star at this point, oh, or she just was, the oh, model. She, no, no, just, no, no. She, she was, was. She had already done the wonderful movie uh, with uh, Jack Nicholson and Art Garfunkel. Was that? Yeah, uh, the uh, Carnal Knowledge. Carnal that Knowledge. Mike Nichols directed. Mike Nichols. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mike Nichols. Yeah. She was luminous in that. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and she, she's. She's the real deal. I mean, our, 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 I would say acquaintanceship, not friendship, has lasted till recently. I saw her at Capamasso a year ago, having two years ago, before pre-COVID, having dinner with her lovely new husband. I don't know how he's not that new. It's probably 20 years now. Daniel Rose, a very prominent New York real estate family and a really solid, solid citizen. She has a lovely daughter with Louis Maul. Yes. That works for Vogue. Right. Uh, and I think used to and is a, a very gifted journalist. And, yes, I'm uh, trying to, I'm, I know her Pete, first. You mentioned Edgar Bergen. So let's explain to people who don't know that uh, she was kind of royalty growing up in uh, it, the Bergen household. Right. And she was reportedly a little jealous of Charlie McCarthy because her father was spending all of his time yes. and incorporating that doll, that dummy, into dummy all of into their, their life. Right, in their I mean, life. And it they was, couldn't right. go anywhere without it. Well, of course, uh, if you remember, Edgar Bergen became famous as a radio ventriloquist. Now, <laughs> what a good gig. <laughs> if you want to get a scam, be a radio ventriloquist because you can move your lips all you want. <laughs> life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. So, but anyway, he was he was as famous then as as Jack Benny or other radio stars, which, which, in a way, just as television in the forties and fifty, sorry, fifties and sixties, television stars were more famous than movie stars because they saw they reached ten times the audience, if that maybe twenty. So, uh, but and she had but she had maintained a kind of. Just a charming, easygoing manner. It's uh, totally adorable. Anyway, we. I got, and in person is in to this day is kind of that Murphy Brown kind yes, of character. Yes, she is absolutely wisecracking, yeah, right, smart, right. and. I mean, she's. Um, um, I had gotten to be actually 
friends with her after the uh, Liza Minnelli incident years later through Brooke Hayward, who was a good, who had, who had also grown up as the child of Hollywood royalty. Anyway, it was 1993, and I am now attending the Cannes Film Festival for the first time, not on a corporate dime, on my own dime, because I have become. How was your room that time? Uh, smaller. Well, actually, actually, I rented somebody's house up in Mougin, so I was doing, I was doing just fine. But um, um, any case, I uh, was invited to a party that Warner was giving because through my, though I didn't work there anymore, I still had a lot of friends for the opening of a Joel Schumacher film, Falling Down with Michael Douglas. An incredible, incredible movie. Holds up well, too. People yeah, should yeah, see it because right. it's all about rage and... and yeah, yeah, and, and uh, complicated feelings. But in any case, I was there in the, in the most anomalous position you can have, which is, quote, independent producer, which might mean something, but usually doesn't. And in my case, it meant that I was hustling a project. You did have something for sale. I did have something for sale, and I was there with the... I had been given a very short leash by Robert Altman to find the money for a script that I had read and just thought was one of the most brilliant scripts I'd ever read, and I don't read that many, but Shortcuts. All right. And Robert Altman had always had become box office poison due to a string of esoteric, sometimes brilliant, sometimes not so brilliant films that didn't find a large audience after his extraordinary success with the, something called MASH. Right. And, uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller or... Yeah, well, that was more of a, as they say, succès d'estime than a <laughs> succès fou. And it wasn't a big box office. That was a Warner film, I remember. In any case, um, and he was there with his incredible wife, Catherine Altman, one of the smartest, savviest, and sharpest, sharp-tongued woman who retained her unbelievable looks, having been one of the swimming co-stars of Esther Williams in the 50s. Um, Do I detect a little crush on the part of Roger Smith on well, Bob Altman's wife? I would say this. Um, you Do know we the, need to alert Mrs. Smith? No, no, but you know, you, we all know the, the acronym M-I-L-F. <laughs> yeah. This is... G G M I L F, because she already had a great grandchild, and let me tell you, sexy and gorgeous. And I, I remember at one point, somebody at a dinner said, "Tell me, Catherine, how, how old are you?" And she reached over and slapped him. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, at this point, we were there. They were staying at the Majestic Hotel. We're having the, all these meetings, and I'm so excited, etc. And they had, the previous film Altman had made had restored him to uh, bankability in Hollywood because it was The Player. Oh, The Player. The player I was going to say the, the thing was, with Gear about Dr. T and the... No, that the, was later. That yeah, was later. much later. Yeah, yeah, not much, but No, later. The Player yeah. was... The Player was put him back on the map. It was, a, it was both unbelievably fine movie and box off, a big box office yeah. hit. And it had been produced by a guy named Carrie Brokaw who everyone would say to me, why is Bob not using Carrie Brokaw? Because that would be the natural thing. And it, the conclusion people came to is, oh, 
this must be a really, really esoteric script that Carrie senses is not going to make any money. He had a company. This being shortcuts. Shortcuts. And when you go to Cannes with Altman and do these meetings, do you get Robert Altman to come to the meetings or do you get Mrs. Altman? No, or I, I have the meetings and I go back and I to their suite and report to them on whether we got nibbles or something that less less than that or more than that. And then if you got a big nibble, maybe Robert and, oh, Altman oh, comes oh, to a meeting. Before, before somebody is going to commit. I mean, we we're talking about, I think, seven million dollar budget for this film, and if you, were, it had a string of, of stars doing more than cameos, but less than than features. Julianne roles. Moore very famously was fully frontally nude for that, and he, he gets talked her into it. But I would those... say, I would say, memorably, not just frontally. <laughs> were, <Yeah>. th were, <laughs> were those stars attached to it when you were trying to get the money or not? No. That and was, it, was it was also it was, long, was, right? It, it was like it, a three-hour movie. Yes, it, was it had based, four it was stories. Based on a series of Raymond Carver short stories, and it had the smell of literary to it, which is poison in Hollywood. <laughs> but I, I was going to get the money from foreigners who weren't quite as 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 philistines, much philistines as the American people. And did you have any of the seven million before you got there? Or you were no. I, at one, at one point, I had two. Well, no, uh -huh. it was because well, I, what I had was that I sold the German rights, and you see, you're selling territory by territory. So once you get to five or six or so forth, you you can presumably bank the rest. Uh, not is always. that still how can is used primarily no, today? Not much. Things aren't. Nothing gets there unless it's already been financed. Right. You don't get. You don't get. To, uh, there's not the same. The, the market is a market of either low rent films that have no were able to be made without upfront financing, or proper movies, whether foreign or U.S., that have real casts and real stars and, and good scripts and so forth. But they don't. At that stage, they've already been sold. Every major territory. Has been so sold. those stories of Stallone meeting with Arabs in a Carlton suite and. <laughs> And getting three million dollars in a suitcase to make Cobra or something like that—that that, those things don't happen anymore, huh? Um, they did happen in the past, yes, in the seventies and maybe into the early eighties when I was uh, just be, uh, becoming aware of what, what, how the business worked. But that they don't—I don't—they don't happen very much anymore. All right, back to shortcuts. Sure. You're, back to you're... shortcuts. So I remember I was one point sitting with Robert and Catherine, and they were talking, and I said, "And you know." I will promise you absolute final cut. Well, I said, more or less. Catherine looks at me and says, tell me about the less. <laughs> She's <laughs> I, funny. Yes. Well, my first meeting with Robert Altman was I walked into a dinner party at around 9.30, having told my hostess that I was probably going to be coming late because I had to go to theater. And I said, if the play's lousy, I'll, I'll see you at 9.30. If not, I'll call and say, I'm not going to show up. And I have to say for the second act, it was, and I would come in and I said, the play was lousy. I was happy, happy to leave the intermission. And someone said, what was the play? I said, I said, it was very disappointing. It's the new Neil Simon. Robert Holman looks at me and says, what on earth were you expecting? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we hit See, that's not that. entirely fair because Neil Simon had a pretty good track record on, uh, but it, but in terms of expecting something great, you he always would, got right. the same. He you was always like got McDonald's. The same. Yes, right. And um, if you ever think that he's a true artist, go see Prisoner of Second Avenue. And you, you, you won't believe it anymore. <laughs> so in any case, um, 
now we're back back at Cannes. <laughs> I'm at this Meanwhile, I'm at, at this Cannes. fancy party at the Hotel du Cap. Warner's putting on the dog for their movie. And I'm standing and I'm talking to the director, Joel Schumacher, who I knew slightly in New York. And all of a sudden, from about 50 feet away, he and I both spot Candy Bergen. And he turns to me and says, oh, Roger, I'm so sorry, but I have to talk to Candy. Would you mind? I said, of course not. I started to melt into the, into the side. Uh, all of a sudden, Candy rushes past Joel and says, Roger, is it really you? Did she need 500 euro? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and so I said, yes, it is. I said, oh, Candy, you do you know, my friend you do Joel know Joel Schumacher, don't you? <laughs> so those are those little moments you live for. If none of his stories were about you, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Who the Fuck is Roger Smith is recorded in an undisclosed bunker somewhere on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. All opinions are Mr. Smith's own, but everything he says happened because he was there. Bill Bergoli is our producer and editor. I'm Bill McCuddy. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and... Hear the culture. Electric acid.